This is Paul Siegel. You're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live at 1 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and youtube.com slash wanderingdms slash live. And now, on with the show. Hi everyone, welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan, and on this episode of Wandering DMs, we're going to be talking about whites and wraiths and specters in D&D. That's the undead inspired by Tolkien and most likely to drain your character's experience points. All that and more today on Wandering DMs. Before we get into that, I'd like to remind everyone that, as always, at the end of the show, we will be doing our after-party chat, which is a private video chat on our Discord server. Uh, it's available to all of our patrons. So if you'd like to join in on that uh, after-party chat around uh, uh, 2 o'clock Eastern today, uh, just pop on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash wanderingdms. Join at any tier, and you'll get access to our Discord server and be able to uh, join in our after-party chat. Definitely. We'll look forward to everybody seeing, being there today. So uh, we, I'm playing through uh, getting near the end of the advanced D&D uh, video game from 1988, Pool of Radiance, and I'm playing uh, on Thursday nights. And uh, as I get near the end of that game, uh, those people that were watching on Thursday, I have been holding off on the Valhingen graveyard area for a long time. That's actually been a mission for quite some time. And I, it's the last thing that I wanted to do uh, because I assume there's a bunch of level draining undead there. And uh, the place is entirely overrun by undead, I'm told. Uh, I was given specifically, my character was specifically given weapons against the undead and also a bunch of restoration scrolls, which I appreciate a lot. Um, but I really, boy, the level draining is really punishing uh, to players. So I've been holding off on that. I think I have the graveyard area and then the final castle, that's it. Um, even though some folks were telling me that the graveyard wasn't that bad, so I finally got into that on Thursday, and sure enough, here come the whites, and here come the specters, and here come the ghouls. And I'm trying to be very technical about how I deal with that as a D&D player to avoid too much level draining. Um, mm -hmm. So we, some of us were ch chatting about that on Thursday, and it's something that um, I kind of wanted to have a conversation with you, Paul, for a while, actually. Because I think that the, the, there's some really interesting historical points about how these monster types, these undead types, came from Tolkien into D&D. &D. And there's some really interesting ways that they evolved that are surprising. And I don't know if there was accidental or, or intentional or not. It almost seems like some places it was just based on a typo. And I wanted to see if, like, if, if you're surprised by this. You're, you're, Paul is more um knowledgeable about Tolkien than I am for what that's worth and maybe some of our viewers are even more knowledgeable than either of us so Probably. I kind of wanted to check in and see if this makes sense yeah. if this is compatible with the way Tolkien represented things I mean, or not it's it's so interesting to me I think just from the you know language perspective of all of these things kind of being synonyms for each other right whites wraiths specters they're all filling that same niche of you know, a creepy, you know, ghostly undead used to be human, now is, you know, 
semi-intelligent and but still compatible right it's it's there it's not like a ghost like i think we've had this we've already had this discussion in in the past where ghosts are like very clearly as written in dnd a plot device right they're, they're there to deliver information and not really for you to fight uh whereas wraiths and specters and whites are, are i mean they they fill a specific grade on the on the hit dice chart right you can, you can kind of one for one every time you want to go up a hit die on undead just jump from White to rate the specter. Off you go. Get some mummies. Exactly. In, a, in the original D and D monster chart, it's just it's just unitary advancement. It's, it is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven hit die options of skeletons up through vampires, and um, there was there was something to fill every single hit die number yeah. in that. In but that I think category. the interesting thing for me about white specifically, which is our kind of lowest level, lowest hit die creature here, right on the mm -hmm. chart, right? They're going to come right after ghoul, right? In your in your hit die undead you're going to get your skeletons and zombies and ghouls and then white i feel like white is the first point where you get where you assume some level of malignant intelligence right ghouls are just hungry beasts who want to eat and zombies and skeletons are just shambling hordes whereas whites they're going to maybe use tactics it's interesting because you know i read enough that's interesting you say that about the certainly skeletons and zombies we all agree they're they're totally non functioning mentally. I read enough Lovecraft, right? That, that that's a point where I am slightly bothered by the disconnect between ghouls in Lovecraft and ghouls in D&D. &D. Like ghouls in Lovecraft have an entire society and they talk and they have a language and they converse and they have leaders and plans and they actually, you know, wind up one of the great allies of um, Randolph Carter. Um, in uh, the dream quest of unknown Cata. So I, I actually kind of expect to bring that into my D and D games, actually, even though I guess you're right. It's not, it's not expressed that way in D and D. I think, isn't there, isn't there some argument, uh, maybe, maybe I'm making this up, but isn't there some argument that, that ghouls and Lovecraft are basically vampires? Hmm. That's new to me. Okay. I might, I'm, I am no Lovecraft historian, so. Um, that's interesting. Anyway, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't think I would never have thought to say that myself. Before before we get into uh, into all of that, I think the, the other the other aspect of this, I think that I'm, we want to talk about here is level drain because you brought that up as like right that your main nerves about this is level drain. I think it's fascinating that in Pool of Radiance, right, the the, the major clue you're getting here, Dan, besides all the like you know, hey, we want it's a graveyard. We hear it's full of undead. Is that they're giving you stuff in advance to prepare you to deal with this, and they're giving you like a bunch of you know two-handed swords plus one plus three versus undeads, so great ways to attack mm -hmm. the undead, but also just just a deluge of restoration scrolls, right? You just you they just pile those things on. Yeah, I yeah. find that. It's a, I, I was joking. I was joking on Thursday that my main cleric must have a wheelbarrow just full of restoration scrolls oh, and restoration scrolls. Uh, right. Doesn't, and, that, doesn't and, that feel um, like there's maybe some like broken mechanic here, right? That like I mean, yeah, when you were, right. if when you run D and D, if you're using these monsters, are you flooding your characters with restoration scrolls? I I wouldn't think so, but that 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 clearly totally signals, right? That totally signals exactly what you said. There's some kind of design flaw that someone's patching over with that. Yeah, uh, that's, that's what that like, and I think the same thing of like bags of holding too. Frankly, um, yeah. uh, it clearly it clearly signals that in my my main cleric is so in so so overburdened with restoration scrolls specifically that I 
if, if anybody's watching from two, I think two weeks ago, I had an accident where I was looking at the scrolls, forget to pick up my main weapon, and then I then my cleric was just beating the monsters with a restoration scroll by accident. And I apologized. <laughs> I had to apologize to my viewers for that gaffe on my part. That's that's amazing. And and of course, like it's it's bothersome to those of us, I think, who are trying to optimize our play mechanically. Um, that to have yeah. to use the restoration scrolls, right? Because even then, yeah, you got level trained, and oh, that made the fight more difficult. But I can fix them with restoration. But there's still a net loss of experience points there, right? You're still looking at going, ah, I lost some XP. And you know, I'll point out if you're playing original D and D, if you're playing original D and D with three little brown books, restoration doesn't exist. Doesn't even exist. Yeah, yeah, not an option. That yet. is that's harsh. Came in later. Harsh. Yeah. Um, all right, what direction really? do you want to go here, Dan? You want to pick apart right. the uh, literary origins, or should I, we talk about the mechanics? I really of do. I really want to look at where it came in to, to D&D first, because I think there's really some interesting, surprising stuff. And what I've done here is I've, I've taken some snapshots today of the earliest editions I possibly could find, um, specifically the editions of Chainmail and original D&D before they took out the explicit Tolkien references. Because initially the works mentioned Tolkien many times about things that they were referencing. So I've got a I've got some snapshots from Chainmail Second Edition, 1972. I do not have access to the very first printing of that and original D and D first printing in 1974. And so the very first place that they come up is um, so of course Paul is looking at uh, this is the fantasy reference table. You're looking for no. It's it, no, no. It's um, the, the CM. The very first thing is the is the chainmail wraiths entry. Um, uh, let me see if I can describe it. There you go. There you go. Okay. So you notice here the very first thing it says wraiths parentheses Nazgul etc. So uh, mm. in chainmail, chainmail fantasy supplement when wraiths come in, they are meant to be mm. Tolkien. You know, ring wraiths, right? That's that's a, literally the very first thing that it says about that, and mm-hmm. um, you know, and these are chainmail stats, which which are uh, supposedly included by reference in original D anD D actually. And it says wraiths can see in darkness. They raise the morale of friendly troops. They cause the enemy to check morale, um, and they paralyze any enemy man, um, with one exception there. Uh, paralyzed troops remain unmoving until touched by a friendly elf, hero, or wizard. Um, and um, uh, how they how they melee, they're impervious uh, unless you're attacking with magical weapons or some kind of powerful fantastic creature. So um, so two interesting things there is that wraiths are meant to be Nazgul initially, and their attack their special attack form is to paralyze. Um, how does that? So if you if 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 they are Nazgul, if they are literally ring wraiths, does that? match does does their paralysis power match with how they attack in lord of the rings oh gosh um i don't know um i mean how often do we even see them fight in in those books it's been a long well, they, time like I, mean, I will admit i'm no tolkien scholar it's been a long time since i read okay. the books if- and i'm probably going to remember the movies more than the books right now me too. Uh, right. See, this is what I, I'm trying to not to just rely on the movies, which is the thing that's right. most in but my my, head too. my memory of both, frankly, is that more time is spent running away from the Nazgul than actually, right. you know, facing. Right. Them. Right. Right. 
Um, right. Certainly, certainly, um, Frodo gets stabbed by one, right? And there's like you got to race yeah. him to the right. But that feels more like level drain to me than than say paralyzed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So obviously, there's no concept of levels in chainmail, right? I mean, among your fighters, you've got you've got heroes and you've got superheroes. Those two categories. That's it. Later on, we can call them yeah. fourth fourth level fighters and eighth level fighters, but that's not an option here in Chainmail. So what you'll see is all of these undead types we're talking about today—they all do paralysis in Chainmail. Interesting. Well, I mean, that's um, that's. I mean, I feel like ultimately what you're getting at here is anytime we talk about any undead like this, um, whether it's wraiths or it's uh, um, you know vampires, you know, biting mm -hmm. you, like the the, the thing that. The, the, I feel like the, the term we're always trying to apply to a game mechanic is that they're somehow draining your life, right? They're, they're yep. reducing your life in some way, or right? your life essence is being pulled from you. I'm like, well, what the hell does that mean mechanically? And I could understand how initially maybe you're like, I don't know, paralysis, maybe? And then, and then once, once you have levels, you can go, aha, level drain, right? That's literally you're losing, right? Your life experiences are going away. Great. Right. Right. Your, life, right. Right? your lifespan is being reduced or something or something like that. It does. I mean, I think it. I think it kind of makes sense. I mean, I think you know, in that the injury that Frodo takes, you know, lasts mm -hmm. lingers for a long time. I think he can't use his arm yeah. for a while, right? So I can see paralysis. I can see it turning into level drain later on is not a terrible um, yeah. interpretation I mean, of that. Frankly, honestly, I've I've never been a fan of level drain for all the reasons we've been discussing. Um, and generally, I prefer either interesting, unusual effects, whether it's paralysis mm -hmm. or some other crazy custom thing, um, or just, or I like, I like going after ability scores, either strength or constitution. That feels to me like you're draining the character's life, right? They're, they're, mm -hmm. yeah. so I like to go that's what, those. and I'll point out Much that's what, uh, sh when shadows come in in the first supplement, right? They start, they, they start draining strength for the first time. I start think, and, and, and I'm, Sensitive to that because when I wrote my simulator, right, that's to my knowledge, that's the only thing in original D&D that does ability score damage is just the, the shadows doing strength. And I had to write custom code just for that monster type. So I'm kind of particularly aware of that. Um, so let's look at let's look at the um, white text in Chainmail. Okay. And again, my point here is in Chainmail, the only mechanic they have for this kind of thing is just paralysis. So every single thing um is going to be paralysis now you notice that in chainmail you get these monster types batched up like you get one paragraph mm -hmm. and it will say like goblins and kobolds work like this uh mm -hmm. or uh, pixies and sprites work like this and they're all they're batched together elves and fairies work like this and they're all batched together so here you see that in first printing chainmail the two things that are batched up in this paragraph are whites and ghouls are put together well. um so they are, they're foot figures, obviously. It says whites and ghouls, you know, melee like this type and defend as this type. Um, again, they cannot be harmed by normal missile fire. Whites and ghouls can see in darkness. Um, they have a penalty when they fight in full light, which is interesting. And again, if they touch a normal figure during melee, it becomes paralyzed and remains so for a complete turn, a paralyzed figure, um, I guess it gets one shot in first um but they only get to melee for one round like that so the interesting thing here is again and obviously whites are barrow whites right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. lord of the rings the, the last book there um and my my understanding if I, my recollection is correct there at some point one of the barrel whites touches frodo and like chills him to his soul right chills him to the bone so how do you 
interpret that chilling. And here it's going to be that he's being paralyzed. And then again, in original D&D, that will become level drain. But you notice how like the, 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 the type that we normally think of as being paralysis, namely ghouls, got the paralysis by accident, right? Just because they happen to be included in this paragraph and the paralysis is really for the whites. And I read this paragraph, I'm not entirely sure whether ghouls were meant to be paralyzing in the first place. Mm, interesting. You know what I mean by that? And, it, and like in, you know, in, in Lovecraft, ghouls don't paralyze people. They just, you know, they just rip them up and, and eat them when they need to. Um, and so yeah, I mean, my, my people is the major, major thing I think we think of when we think of ghouls, right? right? It, yeah. yeah. Or possibly turning other things into more ghouls or something like that. Yep. Um, yep. And I read this paragraph and I, I look at this as, as the, the history of ghouls in D&D having paralysis entirely by accident just because they were glued into this paragraph about whites. Could be. And then Julian's reminding us that in the next edition of Chainmail, there's one additional sentence tagged on to the end of this paragraph that says, oh, yes, and also zombies, too. <laughs> Fascinating. I would have thought zombies would have gotten lumped together with skeletons. Never printed. That's not an option in any edition of Chainmail. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's certainly there's a lot of these, especially as you dig into the folklore, there's a lot of these creatures that get bundled or mishmashed together, right? Like, um, oh, I'm trying to think of uh, what was the there was a there was a zombie apocalypse movie with will smith in it what was that called um i bet one of our viewers will know um yeah probably probably someone will some somebody will, will recollect for me but it was based on a novel or a novella and i and i seem to recall that in the original book they were vampires i am legend there you go thank you william thank you i am legend which i believe if you go back to the original text of that story that it's based on they're not zombies, they're vampires. Interesting. But Interesting. not in the like traditional blood Dracula vampire, but in this like they're fast moving, undead. They they, you know, attack you, bite you, eat you, turn yep. you into one of them. They turn you into one yep. of them is the major thing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And in the in I, the book, I seem to recall they're less mindless. They're like they're like they're they're still calling out to him, like, hey man, come hang out with us. Oh, creepy! It's like no. I know you're not you're not who you used to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, geez. Okay. Well, maybe I gotta. I th maybe I gotta see that. Actually, interesting. Hmm. I mean, of course, hmm. the movie they're much more bestial and more just like, oh my god, they're zombies, but they move fast, or some of them move fast, and yeah, more about. I can't help cool. but for you know, probably all our viewers already know this, but I can't help but. Um, you know, always think in these conversations about how what we consider to be the classic Romero zombie movies, uh, Night of the Living Dead, they're they're not called zombies in that movie. You go all the way to the end of the movie, and there's a news there's a newscaster on TV, and they actually call them ghouls. And you know what? That's a better fit for the D and D monster, right? The ghouls of the type, the D and D ghouls of the type that are doing some kind of infection can turn a person into more of them. And yeah, D&D ghouls are literally what they literally call them ghouls in Night of the Living Dead. And that's always, even though after the fact, we, we think of them as zombie movies now. I mean, the funny thing is in, in, in just minutes before this show, you know, we were talking about this and I quickly popped open Wikipedia to look up some of these terms. 
And when I look up Wraith, it tells me Wraith is uh, one of several traditional terms for ghost or spirit. Um, and then if I look <laughs> if I look up white, uh, I get quickly linked to Barrow White, which I'm like, great, Barrow Whites, that's, yep. that's Tolkien, right? And the first sentence about Barrow Whites is that they are Wraith-like creatures. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> I don't know. They're they're all just kind of the same but different. Now, one thing. Okay, so I, of <laughs> course, I think that the the evolution of any you know game system is always that you want more content, right? We we, we want you want more content. You want a special new monster in an adventure. You want a new monster book. You want new content, and so you wind up going to the the thesaurus and pulling out a whole bunch of what used to be synonyms culturally. And making each of those mm -hmm. words a distinct type so that you can, you know, sell them separately, frankly. Certainly in Tolkien, monster miniature versus rays are pretty different, right? Like you have the, yes, the Barrow Whites and you have, uh, you know, Frodo calling Tom Bombadil to come get rid of the Barrow Whites. And then the Nazgul are, I don't know, like the Barrow Whites, I've, I always got the impression like they're nasty and vicious, but they're tied to their Barrow, right? They're, they're only just there protecting their, mm -hmm. their place of death, right? They're not... Mm -hmm. They're not malignant like Nazgul, which Nazgul are like coming out, coming to get you. Mm -hmm. Right. But again, right. that's, that's so just motivation. That, I don't know. Right. So on that point, again, what counts is what counts as Nazgul in DD. So we saw explicitly in their first appearance in Chainmail that the, the the race, right? I mean, that's the name in that's the the alternate name in Tolkien, the ring race, obviously. And so if mm -hmm. we now go to uh the first printing of original DD. Um, and it's, it's kind of some white text there with with no red highlight in the uh, in the images there, Paul. Um, if we go to there, the so here's the here's the here's the undead page, right? Here's the the the, mm -hmm. the page with the undead text in original D and D, uh, and you see uh, ghouls, right? At the top is as stated in Chainmail, and you get a whole bunch of references back to Chainmail and Tolkien. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it says, as stated yeah. in Chainmail, for whites, ghouls paralyze any normal figure they touch, excluding elves. So again, it's like he feels that he needs to explicate that that ability that was really just stated for whites before ghouls are now getting, I guess, mm -hmm. um, right? And any man type killed by a ghoul becomes one, like the ghouls in Night of the Living Dead and, and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have whites, and it explicitly says here in the first printing, it says these are barrow whites per token, and they're nasty critters. And now you can see that the, the the higher level types here, what used to be paralysis, changes into uh, level drain. So nasty critters who drain away life energy levels when they hit in melee, I one level per hit. Um, so that is a ninth level fighter would drop to eighth level. And a bunch of uh, defenses that white has, uh, whites have that are kind of typical. Then you get race. It says uh, these monsters, and, and here it now says, these monsters are simply high class whites with more mobility and more hit dice and more treasure. And again, some, some kind of defenses. So that sort of keys into the Wikipedia I, article. I class white, so they have, they have, they have right? better access to healthcare and they, uh, <laughs> they have um, more mobility. They drive nice cars, right? They, 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 they generally, generally, whites generally have a you know, nice Tesla or something well, like that. Well, you know, we're gonna touch back on it. You're surprisingly, <laughs> you're not entirely wrong about that. That's not just a joke there. And then the interesting thing is, here's a brand new type, uh, the Spectre that showed that that's not anywhere in Chainmail. And the, the, with this new Spectre type, it says these monsters have no corporeal body, 
which makes them totally impervious, as opposed to the prior defenses, makes them totally impervious to all normal weaponry, but they can be struck by all magical weapons, including silver-tipped arrows. And then in parentheses, the Nazgul of Tolkien now fall into this category, rather than race, as stated in Chainmail. And these guys drain two life energy levels when they hit. It's interesting that he he's explicitly um, changed what counts as Nazgul, what used to be race, like it's actually said in Lord of the Rings, and now they're specters. And so I feel like this is among, my interpretation here is this is among the first examples of power inflation. Is, mm. you know, whites are, uh, wraiths are just your four hit die type, uh, your four hit die uh, undead type. And I think that here, you know, Gary felt like, oh, the Nazgul must be much more powerful than that. I'm going to, I'm going to graduate them up to six hit dice and make a new type called Spectre in order to reflect the two, the true threat of the Nazgul. That is, that is interesting. Um, you know, the thing that keeps jumping out at me as he used all this terminology, right, is that Tolkien is calling the Nazgul ring raids. Does, does Tolkien actually call them ring raids? Is that term? Pretty sure. In the text? Yeah, I'm yeah. 98 Which implies sure. that there's another kind of raid to me, right? If there's ring raids, there must be other kinds of raids, right? I don't think, I don't think there's a product. Them, but... There's a product. <laughs> Get moving on that. <laughs> another, another kind of raid. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I could see that going both ways. I mean, I could see, um, you know, actually now you got my head thinking about um, the um, uh, Stephen Donaldson uh, books, the Thomas Covenant books, which I'm act weird, which is which is kind of a, a dark homage to Lord of the Rings. And yet I'm I'm more familiar with it, frankly. And there are, um, you know, these these ma main henchmen of the main bad guy that are intrinsically tied into the main magic item, right? The main cursed mm -hmm. magic item. And they, they wouldn't exist if that magic item didn't exist. Um, so, eh, eh. well, now I want other types of wraiths. <laughs> Legally distinct wraiths, as, as William is saying. <laughs> <laughs> Or Adam said, great. Okay, let me put this, let me put up Adam's comment here. Uh, so Adam's suggesting uh, all the different wraith types are based around different types of jewelry. You've got bracelet wraiths and necklace wraiths. And nice. <laughs> brooch nice. wraiths. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Watch out for the toe ring wraith. That's, that's. Uh... Destroy them all, I say. Destroy them all. <laughs> <laughs> Now oh, I will point out, so here you have, and just before the show started here, um, uh, I mentioned this because I, I looked it up. I wouldn't normally remember this. Um, uh, and we don't talk about fifth edition so much, the, the edition that shall not be named. Um, but well, the whole point of Spectres initially <laughs> was that they're a, they're a graduated up-leveled version of Wraith. And anytime I run to it in fifth edition, I'm highly confused that for some reason, fifth edition flipped the ordering around. Is that uh, now specters are less powerful and wraiths are more powerful. And I am very, hmm. I really wonder why they did that. Was that to like more tie into Tolkien, I guess, that the race were the worst thing and specters were a lesser type? That seems very strange tradition wise. I don't know. I don't know. It, 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 it's, um... 
I guess I guess what what, what I'm getting back to, Dan, is is there a thesis here? Or is the argument that there are simply too many of these things and we don't need all these distinctions? Or they, is well, this the value to the game? I, I mean, for me, I think that like were these were these interpretations the most the 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 most valuable ones that could have been made? Was mm. was uh, was level drain the best way of interpreting what happens in Tolkien? Would we have been better with paralysis for all these types for their chill touch? Um, did we did? Do you use these were, things? Were rates, often? Were rates in, too in your, weak in the first place? In your own games, are you using whites and wraiths and specters? I tend not to make huge hordes of them, frankly. I, t I try to 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 um, tie into you know. I I try to play test the original D and D ecology, and I will say that one of the things that um, that is again occasionally on my mind is the fact that whites write these really as um, uh, uh, the um, as uh, Rob Bricken again. Uh, put on his 12 most obnoxious Dungeons and Dragons monsters list, whites can show up as a random encounter on the first level in original mm. DD. They're, uh, I believe, a fourth level monster, and any any monster from first to fourth level can show up as a random monster. You can have your uh, your newbie players walk into a dungeon and with a single die roll, the very first thing they're fighting might be whites. So they're a key part of the ecology, and I try to sprinkle at least a couple of them around. But I, I got to admit, I haven't to date designed like a Valhingen graveyard where you just got hordes of these things. Um, with the I definitely, yeah. In my own use cases, I would say like more often than not, I'm sprinkling in a white maybe as like a a boss amongst the zombies. Right? Maybe you're fighting a whole bunch of zombies, and there's a white, mm -hmm. and that's kind of exciting. It's your first introduction to maybe things that require special weaponry to hit or um yeah. it's also your first introduction of level drain or in my case usually I, I like to substitute level drain for other abilities but then as we get higher levels i will say frankly i rarely use raids or specters so by the time i'm getting higher okay. level i'm look i'm looking for more interesting stuff frankly like like vampires vampires are i i like that they're creepy and well known and you know that they can be interacted with or fought right like enjoy that a lot um, or just get into the into the area of customization. And that's that's something I wanted to point out. Um, you know, one of my favorite, very old school, uh, undeady haunted house modules is uh, House on Hangman Hill uh, by Judges nice. Guild, which I think came out in maybe eighty one or so. Yeah, eighty one. Um, and your main horrible creature in here is a spectral skeleton, totally custom. This. Yep. Not yep, yep. out of any book. Right, just yeah. here's here's a hole, and it and it's neat, right? It's got some interesting abilities, and it behaves in some interesting ways. So I think like once once you're getting into higher level undead, I think I want more customization, and I don't, yeah, I definitely don't want hordes of wraiths or hordes of specters. Like, not, I'm not gonna. Do that, that makes sense. That makes sense. I can see it. I, admittedly, I I kind of want a society of ghouls. I kind of, I actually kind of want yeah. a a um a society of ghouls out of out of Lovecraft, actually. Uh, but for but for uh, higher level types, I think that's a strong argument that they they should be custom and you know surprising and novel and unique. That's, that makes a lot of sense, actually. There was um, you know one of the things I used in the past that I really enjoy. Uh, I think uh, Dyson made a a B twelve table maybe of like here are alternate powers 
for to replace level drain with. And I like that not just because like I like to replace level drain, but like I like the idea that like, yep, powerful undead have weird abilities and you're not gonna know which one. And I'm not gonna know which one, right? We're gonna find out <laughs> when you encounter them. I like I like making them more custom like that. I don't know. Maybe that's just you know, I, I should do that more often. So being just a tiny little bit OCD, when the book says X, I do X. And <clears throat> and so I my my the, I, I, last week I was mentioning a blog, a blog article that I'd written and I didn't remember the order of publishing. It will be up tomorrow, um, my Consider Chaos article. Uh, it partly I'm writing for myself. Partly I'm writing for myself, trying to get myself to express what true chaos is like better. And true chaos should be unpredictable. It should be semi-random, it should be unpredictable, it should be surprising. And um, for you know powerful chaotic monsters, it should be more likely that they have unpredictable random abilities. That actually thematically makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> And you have, you know, if, if someone's familiar with the first edition Dungeon Master's Guide, right, there's an appendix specifically for high level, powerful, lower planes creatures like demons or devils or something like that. And the whole point is it's a whole bunch of random tables that every time you get some kind of customized, chaotic, surprising, novel demon. And, and I guess that makes sense. That made sense as here's your top level evil, chaotic monster type. That's the type that we're going to spend extra effort making unique and that that does make a lot of sense for, for what it's worth somebody, I, okay, I've, so I've looked up license table um and i was wrong it's a d30 table so oh oh all, 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 kind, all kinds of that, options in there usually dyson uses the dodecahedron that is surprising yeah, yeah usually but in this case he felt like making it a d30 so there you go <laughs> which is nice uh, that's a good number of options I see in the chat that William has looked up that it looks like fourth edition D and D fourth edition is the first to swap the ordering of the specter of race. Um, and William, thank you very much for looking that up. See now, I, see truthfully, that's the edition that shall not be named. That one I actually just never even look at, frankly. So um, what a yeah, well, what a weird so series of decisions mechanically. were made in fourth. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. Just weird design looking. decisions all over. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. My 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 best guess is to is to reflect the prominence of ring rates in um, Lord of the Rings. And I mean, fourth edition came out in what two thousand eight, and that was on the tail of the Lord of the Rings movies. Maybe I think put the rates at the top, you know, near the top. I have let me. There's there's two other things. I, two other little details here that I don't see other people talking about that um, I wanted to make sure I get in here. And one was. Um, are wraiths incorporeal? Are, are are the ring wraiths incorporeal in Lord of the Rings? Do they, they do they lack physical substance and can go through physical objects and stuff like that? I have no idea. So I'm not I'm not the Tolkien scholar. You put you've set me up to be okay, Dan. That's fine. I, no, I, I mean I'm, I'm asking. You know, it's, it's all of us. <laughs> yeah. It's all of us together. Right? It's viewers and chatters and me and Paul. And do I remember? I don't know. Right. Um, so we're, we're all, we're all together. So, so, uh, let's, let's focus on D and D are rates incorporeal in D and D. Now, when we looked at now, so, so, um, William in the chat, I'll just throw up William's the first one to respond to that. So I'll rely on his, his memory. So here's William saying, no, the ring rates in Tolkien have matter, um, have physical substance and, uh, they rode horses 
and they were afraid of water. Thank you, William. Um, and so um, it, when we when we look at the text in original D&D for the the undead, the ghouls, whites, wraith, specters, you notice that the specter text said that the specters don't have, right? The, the and specters say these monsters have no corporeal body. Okay. But it doesn't say that for wraiths. That little line is not in the wraith text. It doesn't tell you that wraiths are incorporeal or non-corporeal, how you want to phrase that. And um, that is uh, sticky uh, in D&D for a couple of editions. If you go forward to um, first edition, it doesn't say that for wraiths. It does say that specters are incorporeal. It doesn't say that for wraiths. Well, it said, this is interesting. Oh, I'm just looking at the Wraith entry here in my monster yep. manual, and it does say that they exist more strongly on the negative material plane, and then you have the ability to only be hit by certain types of weapons. Is that right. because they're... No, but it doesn't say anything about like flying through walls or anything like that. Right. I'll say the, the text about they exist on the negative material plane, that is, um, uh, that's going to be uh, inserted for any monster that drains uh, negative energy. Uh, so that's that's the uh, justification for draining levels is that they have presence on the the negative energy plane. So they'll also say that for whites, which we all agree is are clearly corporeal, um, unless my memory is totally failing me. Um, but what you do see there is you see a very nice illustration uh, in that book that Paul's looking at right now by David Sutherland, I think, that makes the wraith kind of look ghostly. Um, if you get a chance, Paul, you, I have that illustration there. You could pull up. There you go. There you go. Right. So right. it doesn't have right. It, it's kind of wispy. It doesn't have legs to walk on. A very nice piece of art by David Sutherland there. Um, so although the text never says that it goes through walls or it's non-corporeal anything like that, here here's Sutherland kind of giving you this ghostly vibe. And, um, you know, my take is that that kind of put it in people's heads that it ought to be something like that. You go forward into second edition and it still doesn't say that, right? There are other monsters that are indicated as being non-corporeal, uh, like ghosts and banshees and poltergeists. They all say, they all use the phrase non-corporeal. Second edition, what it says is for race, it says these Horrible creatures are usually seen as black, vaguely man-shaped clouds, like this illustration. They have no true substance. So without using the non-corporeal keyword, they, in second edition, mm -hmm. he says they have no true substance. And then you get to third edition, and finally, it officially gets stamped. The, the very first line in third edition for race is, race are incorporeal creatures, is the first thing it says. But it didn't actually, no edition literally said that until third edition. Hmm. Fascinating. Which I think is kind of interesting evolution. Yeah. So sometimes yeah. I, you know, I ask first edition players, like original first edition players, do you expect your wraiths to be incorporeal and flying through walls? Because it never said that until third edition. Interesting. I've never, I've never used them enough to to be able to weigh in on this, Dan. I've like, I, I cannot think of any module that features a wraith. I can't think of any case where I've put one into a game. I'm like really struggling to think of cases where raids exist and where I, I might think, have actually DM'd them. 
Yeah, I think in third edition, there's like actually a piece of art of wraiths uh, flying through a wall. Like I think there's a somewhere there's art of three wraiths flying through a raw wall in order to ambush the, the party cleric. Um, and I'm just flipping through my books really fast here. Probably not going to find it. Probably the probably the DM's guide, right? There's probably like when they probably when they exp when they explain incorporeal creatures. Probably going to be there. Probably not. I'm here trying is. to think in so, here of. Uh, well, uh, yeah. So here's a third edition DM's guide for incorporeality, and I'm pretty sure those are wraiths flying through the wall to assault your cleric there. I think. Okay. So sometimes that sticks in my head, but they, but that was and that was that was only explicit in this edition. And you think of any. Um, it, it actually right, it actually says incorporeal race. Sorry, incorporeal race lunge toward an adventure. Yeah. What was that, Paul? Are you aware of any modules that feature these monsters? Any old school modules of any kind where that has a wraith in it? That's what I'm looking for. Hmm. Like I feel like I mean, first of all, undead are not that often are not frequently appearing in these in these uh, in in our older modules, right? Like I, I think that's less common. And then of the ones that are undead, I I feel like you're gonna see stuff like vampires and liches and maybe mummies, right? Um, and uh, I just don't I just don't feel like we see raids really ever. Well, it's interesting. I think like now the the BX the higher level BX line, right? So like I think companion modules. Um, like the Beck me, the, the Menser Beck me stuff, the companion modules, the master's modules. I think they have a tendency in places to just start throwing ridiculous armies of monsters at the adventures. So I think in um, uh, Death's Ride, I think there's a, I think there's a master's module called Death's Ride that just has ridiculous numbers of undead. And they just say, here's, you know, a, a hundred whites and 20 wraiths and seven liches and something new that it made up at the top. Uh, Julian is finding one in the B4 Lost City module, which predates what I'm talking about. Great. Nice catch. Great. Great. Thank you, Julian. Room yeah. 64 Great. of the Great. Lost City module B4 by Tom Moldvay, who we love. I think that's Tom Moldvay, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like the AD&D, I'm having a hard time with it. I bet, I bet Temple of Elemental Evil probably has one. That's interesting. That's a good. That's a good question, actually. Yeah, there aren't many wraiths, I think, in like uh, Gygaxian adventures. Yeah, now that you mention, yeah, yeah, I, I think it's. I think it's less common. So I'm looking at my uh, before here. Uh, yep, room sixty-three, abandoned guard, captain's room, monsters, two wraiths. These undead drain one energy level when they hit. Compa and it's just telling you what wraiths are. Um, yep, that's it. That's this. That's, that's, they're there. That's that's the entirety of the of the section of that room. It's just there are two raids. Yeah. Well, I mean that tends to be that's what that's what you know original adventure text was like. Is the room is the wraith room and it's got two thousand coppers. That's your text. Um, uh, oh, interesting. David's uh, look pointing to d module W WG seven Castle Greyhawk, which I'm not super familiar with because it's a version of Castle Greyhawk not written by Gary. Um, uh, good catch. I feel, is there one in X2? I want to say that, like, there's coffins in X2 that have race, but not many. Uh, Paul has a good point. There aren't many. Yeah. 
And flying through walls is certainly not a tactic I remember being important anywhere. But here's my last, here's my last thing about rates. You're going to love this or you're going to hate this. Yep. So if you do go to the chain mail, uh, now the thing what we're looking at right now, right? The move. So the wraith move in uh, here in AD&D, it says 12 inches slash 24 inches. And the slash is a code for here's their flying speed. So the, mm-hmm. the customary old school thing is rates <laughs> can walk uh, 12 inches uh, per round and they can fly 24 inches per round. Now, if you go back mm-hmm. to Chainmail where these things started and you look at the fantasy reference table, I've got highlighted in red a couple of key parts, specifically three letters, three letters that I think everybody overlooks. And so you can see here that um, the two things that I highlighted there, the second line is whites and ghouls. Again, they have the same movement rate. And um, there's, they've got a special ability column with, with letter codes, like for whites and ghouls, it says B and G, which are, they can see in darkness and they can paralyze by touch, great. And then um, you have this line wraiths and you notice that they have 18 inch move and then a couple columns later, they have a fly move, which is kind of not many things have a fly move here of 36 <laughs> inches. So they have a fly move here and they have four special abilities, B, E, F, G, so they can see in darkness, uh, they cause enemy to check morale. Uh, F is they can detect uh, invisible objects, which is interesting. So arguably in original D&D, wraiths can see invisible uh, by reference to this, actually. And then G, they can paralyze by touch. But here's the thing. Notice the label on the, on the row. It says wraiths, parentheses, MTD, period, parentheses. The wraiths are mounted. The rates are mounted ah. by default, right? Nobody ever talks about yeah. this because it's just these three letters in this one table. And we all know that, as William pointed out before, your ring rates are famous. Is, is They're also called in Tolkien the Black Riders. They're always riding something. In some cases, they're riding these black horses on the ground. And then in the, in the last book, they're riding these flying creatures that a lot of people call fell beasts now, right? Like this. Well, well, if they're corporeal and they're tokenish, that's how they get their flying speed because they're mounted on fell beasts, and that's mm. what it—that's what it says right there in the fantasy reference table. That's where they where they get their flying speed from. So, um, uh, so I, I, I consider sometimes is that is that included in original D anD D? It doesn't it doesn't say it anywhere. But are are wraiths only flying because they're on like you know? To me, I can I consider these things to be like wyverns, wyverns, I should say. Um, so do you do you do you play your your um, your wraiths and your specters like this in um, in D anD D, assuming that they're they're flying on wyvern fell beast creatures? Because I think I've started to interpret it that way. Interesting. Did Wraiths get their fly speed by accident? Because because <laughs> Chainmail interpreted them as, as being mounted on fell beasts and then stripping those three <clears throat> letters out. I, I think Wraiths got their, fly, their, their flying ability by accident. I certainly, when I picture Wraiths mentally and God knows what, what influences here are making are driving my visualization, I don't really see feet. I don't see them walking around, right? They, they, I feel like they're they're wispy. They're wearing robes. Maybe they're they're and and I and when I envision them moving on their own without a mount, I see them hovering a foot or so over the ground and just kind of gliding through the air. 
certainly that's that's the mental image I have of raids. And I would I would say I bet if you bet if you went back and watched the Lord of the Rings movies that when they are not on their mounts, I bet that's how they're depicted as sort of these these floating things. We need to go back. We need to go back and look at look look at um, what's what's the comic. There's the '90s comic book artist that's infamous for being unable to draw feet. Rob Liefeld, I think. Um, <laughs> we should go back and see if anybody, if um, if they represented the the wraith's feet in the Lord of the Rings movie. Um, so here's now Julian saying they totally walk in the movies in the chat. Do they walk in the um, movies? Okay. Yeah, and and Jerry's Jerry um, of certain scenes where they appear to be gliding because it's spookier. <laughs> and here's Jerry saying um, the wraith in our D and D monster manual um, doesn't have much from the waist down, but Tolkien's wraiths totally have legs. Uh, now I'll agree with you, Paul, that um, you know that the the wraiths in uh, the Lord of the Rings movies they have some like wispy stuff coming over out of all of them. Like I think that their their hands and their robes and their faces they all have some kind of like supernatural emanation kind of wafting over off of all of them mm -hmm. so i can mm -hmm. totally see that as part of somebody's memory um and and adam's also confirming they walk in the movies and i think okay. you know like this miniature right here i think is based on the movies and obviously they have very distinct um if that's uh, visible they have very distinct um you know arm boots right armored boots there and I think at some point when I wanted to find the coloring that I wanted to paint this, I looked at the Lord of the Rings movies very, very carefully, specifically to get the coloring of their of their um, armored boots right, among other things. Um, so okay. I think I agree with with everybody on that. But that's not what it looks like in D and D, right? The art no. doesn't show that kind of thing. That's not the way that it's evolved. And so you have this this bifurcation of clearly. It was explicit right off the bat that rates were Nazgul in the first presentation. And then you have this kind of creative bifurcation where now they're kind of two different things. And I'm not sure which one is better now. All right, yeah, so Julian's I, I, bringing I, up I, Witch King in Return of the King, which I think is also an interesting. Is is the Witch King in in Tolkien referred to as a wraith or a white or just the Witch King? What kind of undead are those that uh, that follow Aragorn out into battle? Interesting. Interesting. Is that ever mentioned? I'm not sure. Hobo <laughs> Ogre wants to refer to it as a crown wraith. <laughs> All right. Well, because yeah, because they're all based Good on one. jewelry, right? Good one. <laughs> I don't. That one. I don't know. I don't know. Does it? Is it just unique? Is it? It's just I mean, the Witch King, and it's a unique thing. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. Again, that's my my argument. Is unique is cooler. So why not go? I mean, in, in my game, certainly, I I feel like you know again. As I get into these kinds of undead, right? I almost feel like that's why you're seeing. Maybe I, this is nonsense. This is my interpretive nonsense. Uh, but, um, but like maybe the reason why you're seeing them get reassigned from whites to specters, or rather, race to specters, um, 
right? The, the definition of Nazgul being like, nope, now they're spec, now they're now they fall into the Spectre category. Is that desire for them to be more special? There's only nine of them, right? They should be, you know, terrifying and, um, yeah. Uh, and so, and so you want to make them more special and more special, right? So I guess my question is, why even lump them into either of those things? Why not just have a Nazgul entry? Why is Nazgul not totally separate from raids and whites and and specters and all that stuff? Just be their own thing. Good question. I mean, to begin with, obviously, wraiths were you know synonyms for Nazgul, and then as you take a couple steps down the road, they you know one edition, you know, one year after what we were looking at there, they specifically ripped out all the Tolkien stuff, so they didn't want to use the the name at that point, obviously. Um, yeah, good. You know, good argument. Maybe that would have been maybe that would have been better. Um, uh, I, I feel like I want to say, uh, no man may state my category. <laughs> in the no, in the last couple of minutes, I, let's let, let's maybe let's ch chat about the so among the options for a level drain. And I got to admit, I still do actually hammer my players with actual lose a whole level. Um, the one modification that I make is I give a saving throw for it, right? I, I give a save versus death to avoid it. And I alert people in advance that you've either heard of it or there's horrible, you know, black energy wafting off like the race in the movies and try to, try to um, telegraph that, you know, level drains on the line here. But I do give a saving throw for it. Original AD&D, don't mention it one way or the other. So everybody interprets it as there's no save. Uh, third edition comes in and you pick up a temporary negative level and then you get a saving throw later on to maybe recover from it. Um, what are now fifth edition, right? What, what these monsters turn into is they, they temporarily reduce your maximum hit points. And then assuming you survive on your next long rest, all that goes away automatically. Um, what are your, what are your top preferences, Paul, for things that you replace level drain with? Maybe I should think about well, again. You know, usually I go into draining an ability score, either strength or constitution. Right. I like constitution because that feels like life energy, and maybe that brings your hit points down too because you're starting to lose bonuses. Um, so I like that. Uh, like I said, I do like I do like Dyson's table. Um, you want you want to roll roll a d thirty, Dan, and uh, uh, I'll, I'll give you a. <laughs> good, I'll give you a power I, off the of Dyson. <laughs> I need to. I need to do math on this. Uh, just one second. This and then <laughs> how do I do it? Thirty. Okay, so uh, twenty-seven. Nice. This this undead has uh, regeneration. Regenerates three hit points per round, except from holy damage. Oh. Okay. This is regenerating if destroyed. Okay. There you go. I would like it if it was like if it was uh, like I think I would like it a little better if it was like eating the if it was taking like every time it hit the player it got those hit points back. Is I think what I would yeah, do with that. I think I think there is a I think there is a like a a, a vampiric yeah okay. uh, yeah vampiric drain damage dealt by the undead and melee heals at an equivalent amount. That's a good one. Like that. Got yeah. <clears throat> we should put the link to this in the in the discussion after on on YouTube after we're done here. Um, Oh, How about, well, uh, Bakwes has already beat you to it and dropped it right oh, in the chat right. there for you. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> he 
he's the best. Uh, Give me one more. 23. What is that on this table? Uh, breath of Decay. Once per turn, the undead can make a breath weapon attack. Uh, typically a magical blast of decay, but sometimes shards of bone or regurgitated black evil or even fire or gas yeah. or something thematically appropriate. In a 15-foot cloud in front of him that deals 1d6 damage per two hit dice of the undead. That's tasteful. That's, yeah. Breath of Decay. Mason has a lot of good ideas. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I like it. There's an interesting well, entry one, okay, in here. Now you me curious. Give me one. Yeah, I, this is the last one. Uh, give me, <laughs> give me um, what was that, 16? 16, 16 uh, is Vampiric Drain. Uh, blows oh, uh, damage dealt by the undead and melee heals it in equivalent amount. Nailed it. Great. Okay. Yeah, there's one right. Well, one then I agree. Then I like that it, that it <laughs> is. Uh, there's the this arcane devourer ability uh, that it actually uh, dra- uh, re- drains uh, spellcasters' prepared spells. Like, oh, acts you, you lose a prepared spell. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah that's, that. good <laughs> that's good too. That's good. Yeah. So, ba- so basically, think about every single thing on your character, on your player character sheets that you could possibly take away from them and make that an option. Great. There you go. Drain magic from a magic. And again, one one of my favorite things about that table is simply not using it in advance and and just rolling it at the table so that you have no idea, no idea what, you know, any given wraith might have a different ability from any other given wraith. Yes, the wraith in the previous room had Breath of Decay, but this one is got vampiric attacks. Okay. Now I'm sold. (laughs) I was was skeptical before, but yes, I say yes to that. That's, that's, that's great. Yeah. That's, that's fun. That's nice. Well, Dan, any final thoughts on White's Wraiths uh, Inspectors? I think it's really interesting that these things, you know, come from uh, Tolkien initially, and then they kind of branch off in some ways, sometimes just totally accidental ways. It wasn't even intentional in, in cases like this. So I like kind of going back and on your point about there should be probably more variation um, to these chaotic monsters about thinking about, you know, what were the what were the options at the inception of, hmm. um, you know, where they came from and should, you know, the level drain types be doing paralysis instead. So they do chill touch damage. Should the wraiths be corporeal or incorporeal? Should they only fly, you know, if they're mounted on other creatures or things like that? And, um, you know, should the, should the ghouls have, have paralysis? Should they be totally mindless? And, you know, maybe they give you some additional ideas for injecting surprises for your players that in some ways feel more fundamental than, you know, D&D just being about D&D. I, I like D&D being about other things and referencing other things in the culture myself. So maybe this taps into slightly deeper, deeper thematics than we're used to with um, totally branded trademark Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, I, I find fascinating, like, I never even thought about the, like, uh, can they fly? Are they incorporeal? Uh, and, and how vague and, and difficult that question is to answer. Uh, I never really thought of, thought of that. Um, I didn't realize how uh, unclear that is. Right, right. Very, very murky. Very murky, initially. <clears throat> you know, in some sense, you could say, well, a DM gets to decide. And in other cases, we're still working it out. Well, viewers, if you have any thoughts on uh, whites and raids and specters, oh my, uh, leave us some comments here in the YouTube video. 
Uh, is there anything we overlooked? Anything, um, especially uh, check us on our Tolkien knowledge. Clearly, it's, it's hurting here. So if there's stuff we're missing, uh, references in there. I mean, I'm especially curious if there's ever any mentions of other kinds of wraiths, because again, ring wraith sounds to me like you're calling it a ring wraith because it's different from the other kinds of wraiths. But are there other kinds of wraiths? I'm not sure. Uh, so drop us a comment. We'd love to hear it, and maybe that'll uh, inspire future conversation. Tell us what other types of wraiths you think we should we should be introducing in our games that we haven't yet. Um, and of course, remember, if you're new to the show, that you can like, follow, and subscribe to us. And we're on YouTube and Twitch and Twitter and Facebook and GitHub and TikTok and places like that. And we have the handle Wandering DMs on all of those sites, so please look for us there. If you prefer to listen to us in audio-only podcast format, you can do so. Those podcasts are available at our website at wanderingdms.com. Also through various podcast carriers such as iTunes and Spotify and Google Podcasts. If you're listening to us right now from one of those sites and it gives you the ability to do so, please rate and review our show. That helps other users of that site find us, and we really appreciate it. We really do. And of course, huge thanks to our patrons who support the Wandering DMs show. And if you'd like to join them, please visit patreon.com slash wandering DMs. And again, all of our tiers provide access to our Discord server where the conversation is continuing all week long. And we'll be there in about 10 minutes, like uh, Paul uh, reminded us about for our live video chat to continue the conversation today about whites and rates inspectors and all kinds of things that drain your experience. Um, and maybe our, our uh, viewers, maybe there were comments uh, that went by too fast for us to uh, to pick up on here, and we'll uh, we'll be reminded about that. So we'll look forward to seeing everybody there. And uh, anything else I'm forgetting here, Paul? Um, I don't think so. That sounds about right to me. So uh, come come join us uh, in the after chat, which is about to take place over on our Discord server. If you haven't done so yet, quick yeah. pop on to patreon.com slash wanderingdms. Uh, pledge at any tier, get access. Like one dollar, um, and I'll be back on Thursday uh, night, eight thirty p.m. Eastern time, with uh, Dan Cullen and Gamma Dan uh, for more Book of War action. And uh, among the things uh, we have had, uh, you know, we have high level uh, characters uh, fighting in D and D mode now for the first time. And among Dan's favorite uh, items on the list is a lich on a wyvern, which is totally, entirely inspired by the Witch King flying a fell beast. So uh, I'm going to prepare for that. I suspect that Dan's probably going to show up with a lich on a wyvern, and I'm probably going to have to fight that in uh, D&D rules in one of our zoom-in actions, possibly this Thursday. So, uh, or, And now that I've said that, Dan's probably going to come up and try to surprise me with something else. So we'll see. We'll see what he does and see if I can fend that off um, this week. Uh, and don't forget, we uh, here, Wandering Ems, of course, we're live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So please join us next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then.